You're listening to Tramshed Presents. In this edition, we talk to a relative newcomer who's become quickly established on the London cabaret scene. Drag queen Dolly Trolley cut their teeth at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern and since 2017 has made a name for their drag aerobics class, co-founded the queer cabaret collective House of Royals and launched a monthly drag brunch. We'll meet Dolly's alter ego, Edward Addison. They'll tell us what life's like as a working drag artist and how they're staying in touch with their fans online during the coronavirus pandemic. Tramshed's progression producer, Andre Pink, will be lending us a guiding hand and telling us why he wanted a drag queen as part of his current programme for emerging artists. All that right here on Tramshed Presents. Welcome to Tramshed Presents. I'm Jason Caffrey. This is the fourth instalment of our debut podcast season, Sequins, Panties and Moustaches. And as we're staying at home under coronavirus restrictions, we are recording this edition remotely. I'm sitting in my pop-up studio at home and Edward and Andre are both speaking to me down the line from their homes. And hello, Andre. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Yourself? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. And Edward, a very warm welcome to Tramshed Presents. Thanks very much for joining us. Hello, thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Edward, when I was preparing for this edition, I was wondering actually if we should be interviewing you or we should just be interviewing Dolly. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it is a confusing thing to having two names, particularly when I meet new performers or people from Cabaret World. They ask what your name is, and it's interesting. It's like, which name do you want? And I never really know which one to use. Um, I'm sat as Ed at the moment, um, so we can call me Ed. But, you know, it's an interesting thing when you're a drag performer or any kind of performer with an alter ego, kind of where does one start and one end? Um, Because I guess for me, my performer ego is an extension of my usual self and does all come from Ed. So they are the same person, but I just guess we just give them different labels at different times. Well, we'll delve into Dolly's world in a moment, but let's start with talking about you, Ed, and tell us about yourself, who you are and and what you do. Yep, so I am 27. Um, I'm based in London at the moment. I'm originally from Leeds in Yorkshire, and yeah, I'm a professional drag queen and cabaret performer, doing all sorts of different types of events and gigs. So I've got kind of a few things that I run myself, like my drag aerobic classes that you mentioned. There's a drag collective I'm a part of, known for my drag brunch shows, but then I perform in a lot of cabaret shows. And I'm a burlesque artist as well. Um, and all different kinds of events that I end up doing all over London and then beyond around the UK and internationally for special occasions. And all of that work is performing as Dolly Trolley, is it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. We do it all as all as her. And so turning to Dolly's personality, if you were talking about Dolly Trolley to a friend, how would you describe them? I often say that she is bonkers. She is delightful. She is frightfully upbeat and cheerful. And she's always incredibly energetic. She's been described as always moving at 100 miles per hour. So, yeah, she's frightfully happy and always moving somewhere fast. And... Uh, I wasn't sure how to phrase this question, but I wonder who's in charge in your life, Edward? Is it yourself or is it Dolly? Oh, that's... <laughs> it's probably Dolly. Do you know what? It probably is. Like, If I've got two situations that I'm looking at, it's like, oh, right, Ed, you've got to do your laundry or tidy your bedroom. I was like, yeah, but Dolly needs to stitch something onto that costume. Or in terms of who has the most storage at home... 
Dolly's got one more chest of drawers and one more wardrobe than Ed does. And I think that that comes from my passion for it, that kind of if there's maybe something that I've got to do for Dolly and my performance work, that that seems to always take priority over anything else I've ever got to do. So, yeah, I think she rules the roast. It sounds like, and look, clearly there is. I was, I've been looking at your Instagram feeds and some of the feeds of Drag Aerobics, which we will talk a little bit more about. There's a lot of costume. There's a lot of makeup yeah. for Dolly. That alone is a big commitment. I often complain that one of my least favourite elements of drag is the number of objects required. <laughs> Whenever you go to a gig, it's kind of, I have an enormous suitcase that you have to take or, you know, depending on what it is you're doing that day. But sometimes on a Saturday, for example, I might have kind of three gigs on a Saturday in three different venues across London and you need kind of different costumes, hair, shoes for each one. And you end up traipsing around an enormous suitcase and people ask you where you're going on holiday. And it's like, oh, no, you don't understand. It's, it's not worth explaining to you as I pass you on the tube. So, yeah, it is a, it's an expensive thing to be doing. It's not cheap. And, yeah, it involves a lot of work behind the scenes in keeping all your costumes and makeup and, you know, thinking of new things as well as keeping everything in order. And, yeah, it, there's a lot of elements to it beyond just stepping out and looking beautiful, which I do very well, obviously. <laughs> it, it sounds like Dolly could do with an entourage, actually. But how did they come to be? What was the journey that brought Dolly into the world and out into the open and, and onto the stage? Yeah, so it was start of 2017 when she started to form. And it was after I moved to London. I graduated from university in the summer of 2016, moved to London, got a job, and I was bored stiff. I'd always performed throughout my childhood, teenage years, and at university. It had always been something I'd done at the side. I'd always taken dance classes and performance classes when I was a child and a teenager. And then when I was at university, was like involved in lots of dance and musical theatre extracurricular activities. And I think that when I first moved to London after university, I was craving that extra little thing on the side because at that time all I had was going to work and then going out clubbing and to be honest getting drunk um, so, um, and I saw at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern there was a course advertised called The Art of Drag a course that's run by Michael Twaits who's a fantastic drag performer and for me it was something to just do as a little creative hobby or having danced previously and noticed that I had maybe a particularly good feminine energy with my performing but then as a boy, that's not always kind of appreciated or championed. And, you know, I was able to turn that around and, and use that for something that began as a hobby and then became a, a slippery slope, really, into a career. Can you tell us a little bit the, the inspiration? Like, uh, are there like a combination of women behind Dolly? Is it like an amalgamation? Uh, tell us a bit, the, yeah, what's the, the seeds behind Dolly? Yeah, I think that the inspiration and where I derive things from. It is coming from lots of different places. The name comes from my job at the time. I was working in the airline industry. But when I used to tell people who I worked for, they'd say, oh, are you a trolley dolly? And it's like, oh, no, I actually work in their head office doing analytics. And it was just one day I thought, oh, well, that's a little bit about me. And I think that the name in particular, I enjoyed taking something that's often a bit of a derogatory term, like calling someone a trolley dolly and flipping that around and owning it, essentially. And I think that Dolly is inspired by lots of powerful women. And I think that a lot of my performances and work comes from the importance of laughter, smiling and frivolity. I'm inspired a lot by Lady Gaga, Dolly Parton. With my drag aerobics, people have called me Jane Fonda. But I like bright colours and um, I like being quite powerful with my drag, often seen in a thigh-high boot. 
my first performance in drag ever, I actually did a tribute to Princess Leia. It was a 10 minute extravaganza about her announcement of men because Han Solo, well, was trash. <laughs> Fantastic. And you, you were going to run a masterclass for us, right? And uh, unfortunately, we canceled that because of lockdown. So what, what were the things that you were planning to do for, for the masterclass that... Uh... Yeah, I think that it's important. Something that I found when I was starting out is that it was really hard to conceptualize who this character is that you're going to create. So I think that my workshop was going to be about giving it a go. And that goes beyond just dressing up. I think that you do need to have a bit of a physical dress up element to it because that is what drag is partially about. It's about recreating something completely new, using yourself as a blank canvas. You know, even if it's just so much as popping on some lipstick and a pair of heels and a big wig, doing these kind of things can help you explore who you are, what you feel, looking at different types of drag, whether that is lip sync and parody work or whether you do character work where you create a completely different character and do stand-up comedy. Maybe you're quite an emotional drag artist, um, maybe doing live singing or something. So I think it was going to be a lot about exploring different potential avenues, giving it a go and seeing what sticks with you and seeing what kind of creativity you have inside of you that speaks to you. Uh, Andre, I'm just going to jump back in here. I mean, what was it about drag and drag queens particularly that you wanted to bring into the progression season? I mean, this season is, is about cabaret, I think. And cabaret and drag, they walk hand in hand. When I think cabaret, I think like clubs and bars and tables and drink and booze and entertainment being performed at night, a, a kind of a, a laid back atmosphere i think about places that uh, probably has an element of transgression of the prohibited of the forbidden and a little bit of uh, critique a little bit of uh, pointing the finger at the bourgeoisie and uh, politics being put together into it and i mean i adore all those things i have done a lot of as probably people if they heard the previous uh, episodes of our podcast I have done a lot of clowning and mask work. There is a lot of cabaret in my work when because I'm also a theater maker. And I mean, drag is just a big part of it. And uh, uh, and also in Brazilian, there's a big culture of, you know, with carnival and dressing up as a woman. So it's, uh, yeah, that's the answer. And Edward, you talked about, there, there are a lot of things in there, actually, that you talked about that you had in mind that you'd want to bring to the masterclass. Would drag aerobics have been part of it because that's something that dolly trolley does that's got a really strong following yeah absolutely and i think that something that i i think it would have been a very strong example of what you can do with drag um because sometimes as drag artists we're all put under the same umbrella or someone say i'm looking for a drag queen for this and it's really we're all completely different a lot of people that do similar things but we really are completely different there are some that are singers some that are comedians some that are dancers some that are theatrics and some that run aerobics classes and you can really take it into lots of different places in aerobics for example it's a kind of a, an exercise class run by me in full drag but it's about exercise but it's mostly about having fun when we usually do our class in shoreditch there's an option to get prosecco at the end of the class at the end not during health and safety and you know a lot of people do do that and then we're able to have a chat over a glass of prosecco and it's a fun night and you know we've also had a sweat and had a move 
but I find that the drag can be very powerful. Like it's not just a fun dance size class. By including drag, it transforms it into something completely different. Some kind of dancer size classes, there's you know a bit of anxiety involved. But I find that our classes, nobody cares what they look like. It is literally dancing like nobody's watching, except you are with however many other people are in the room. We usually have thirty or forty in our class in Shoreditch. Maybe we're going to need a bigger studio soon. Um, and I think it's about having somebody in front of you who is bearing their soul and their personality and all of their vulnerabilities. A willingness to look stupid and look ridiculous in front of you can make everybody else feel very comfortable. And I think that that's the thing that I really love about my drag aerobics classes. It's an exercise class where we have people of all different ages, shapes, sizes, sexualities, genders, people who have interest in fitness, people who don't, people with different abilities. And I do think that without that drag element, it wouldn't be such a lovely class, to be honest. Well, let's get a little flavour of drag aerobics now. And here's oh, here we go. Dolly just just getting warmed up for an online class that they did recently. I think that we are, I think we're just about ready. We're ready, aren't we? We're ready, of course, we're ready. We have one other little rule here at drag aerobics, which is that when I say work queen, you say yas queen. We sometimes use something slightly some more profanities, but I'm aware that we have some children with us. So if you are a little person, hello and welcome. Um, so when I say work queen, you say yard queen. Can we have a little practice? So when I say work queen, you say yard queen. After three, one, two, three, work queen. Work queen. Work queen. <laughs> Lovely. I think we're ready. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start. Edward, that was a, a drag aerobics session that was um, live streamed online. And that's something that's enjoying uh, a real boom while we're all under lockdown. And you've had some big audiences. But that clip tells a little bit of a story because, of course, when you're doing that work queen routine, you're talking to a screen, which is why you're, you can't hear anyone coming back at you. And I'm guessing that um, many more people are coming online uh, to do your class than, than you can handle in person, but maybe you've got to work a little bit harder at it at the minute. Yeah, it is. It's a very different thing. Usually we have our studio class and we've got room for about 30 or 40. And yeah, it's a little thing that throughout the class, just to you know, make sure everybody's still alive and still with us. We shout work queen, they say shout yas queen and everybody loves it. Like everyone's usually shrieking at the top of their voices. And um, it's a very different beast where then I'm at home and can't hear everybody else, but I just have to trust that they're there. I can see the little kind of numbers to see how many people are online and how many people are watching. There is a comment section which is kind of filling up, but, you know, I can't read it because I'm squatting in the middle of my living room. And, you know, people then, once we've finished the class, I get sent all their selfies and the pictures and the little videos, and people are shouting Yas Queen at home. I, I might I might have to get involved because my lockdown diet, it, well, all I can say is my waistline is just unravelling, completely under out of control. But Andre, I know, has been running regularly during lockdown and doing some online yoga as well. What do you think, Andre? You might might give drag aerobics a try? Absolutely. Uh, when do you do it, uh, Ed? We are doing it on Wednesday nights at the moment. We do it at 7.30pm. Um, we go live on my Facebook and Instagram channels. Uh, I'm going to join with my mum, I think, and maybe invite my brother too. Yes! <laughs> 
Yeah, we've had quite a lot of families and cross-generational. Like, I get quite a few pictures of like whole families and whole households doing it, which is wonderful. And yeah, we've got quite a lot of kids doing it. I think the youngest we've had is uh, we've got a five-year-old who's a regular, which makes my little heart melt. Yeah, we've sweet. had quite a few people doing it with their pets as well. We've had quite a few dancing dogs and dancing cats. We even had a dancing hamster. And where did the original idea come from for drag aerobics? You've talked about the different directions that you can go in with drag, but there must have been a seed somewhere. Yeah, because um, there was, because, yeah, as I said, you can go in all sorts of different directions with drag, which is one of the things that I love about what I do is that I then do have, you know, my finger in drag brunch, do lots of cabaret shows. I'm also a well-known burlesque artist with my drag, but then also this drag aerobics class, which isn't something that is very common or I think that I know anybody else doing and it came from it was very cliche just a bit of a drunken joke in a dressing room it's an event that I run with a performer and producer that I work with a lot called Ginger Flappage and one of my cabaret acts is a bit sports themed where I do a lot of high speed skipping I think I look like I've just been shopping in Sports Direct and at some point pull a skipping rope out of my crop top and do some kind of high speed skipping tricks and I think it was just joked about how hilarious it would be if I ran exercise classes and I used to teach some dance classes before and I thought, you know what, I could do that. And then uh, with the help of Ginger, we made it happen and got it off the ground. I mean, I guess that's how I started drag, just a bit of a, oh, wouldn't this be funny if you start doing this? And then and then you do start doing it and then it turns into something fantastic. And I've really enjoyed having it happen in lockdown. It's kind of the thing that's keeping me sane. And what about the drag brunch, which I'm I'm guessing has been a lot harder to do anything with online? Yeah, so that's something that, because there are brunches that happen all over. And, um, you know, I was getting booked as a guest performer at a lot of different people's brunch shows and really enjoyed them. It's a place of complete euphoria and hedonism, often with free-flowing alcohol and food and then drag performers to entertain you. It's like, what's not to like? And yeah, there's a venue called The Fence who are in Farringdon in London and they were wanting to get something off the ground. You know, it'd come to my attention that maybe I could run my own brunch. And so we do that there once a month. We choose to do it once a month and keep it a bit special. And that's become really, really popular. And every month it's it's me and I put on a show and where I also get a different guest performer to be with me. So we tag team, do different performances. So people come in and they get their brunch and they get their alcohol, usually Prosecco. We do a, um, oh, what do we do? Oh, what's that drink? The one that's bright orange, Aperol Spritz. We do Prosecco and Aperol Spritzes. And it's an opportunity for everybody to just have the wildest afternoon of their lives. We do lots of games, get them all on their feet. I make them dress up in toilet rolls and lip sync for their life. We have giant congas. We do bingo, all sorts of daft stuff. And um, yeah, being in drag on a Saturday afternoon in the middle of London is also a barrel of laughs. Um, so I'll be looking forward to getting back to that once we're out of lockdown. And you also co-founded the Collective House of Royals, right? Yes, so that's a group of, um, there are eight or nine of us. And that's actually the group that was formed that I kind of started doing drag with. This The drag course that I did, um, the Art of Drag at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. And we found that after a few months, we were all doing all right in ourselves. And we were, you know, getting gigs, performing, working, enjoying what we're doing, all doing very different things. And then the Royal Vauxhall Tavern offered us one night to put on a show. We did. It was fantastic. And then we found that we had a really good, strong collective that was very diverse, not just in lots of different types of drag performers, in drag queens, drag kings, people who are non-binary drag performers, but also people using different disciplines. Some people who were more high energy, lip sync, dance and burlesque like me. We had stand-up comics, people who sang, people who did some more performance 
art and kind of emotive work. And so we found that we were a really good collective. And so now we have a quarterly residency at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, and that's kind of our our mothership, essentially. And, you know, you've got all of these things going on, Ed, and I, I think any wannabe drag artist listening will be really keen to know how far you're actually able to earn a living as a drag queen. I mean, does does Dolly pay the rent? Uh, she pays probably about half my rent, um, so that I work part-time as well. And it's been a common conversation of mine because I think that she very much could do, but I am... I enjoy keeping both sides of my brain entertained. And so Dolly very much does, she does pay my rent. I, I top it up with other things because then I get a slightly nicer flat and I get to have avocados for breakfast, uh, to be honest. But yeah, you could make good money doing it. It takes time to get there, which is sometimes a bit frustrating to hear. I remember the first time I got offered a, a paid gig. I was like, what? You want to give me money to do that? And, you know, I was very much a newcomer, so it was a very small fee, understandably, and as it should have been. You know, now earning very professional rates and doing things for large venues, large scales of people, large companies, all sorts of really different, interesting jobs. Like, I had one where I had to go into different media offices, handing them out puddings, and that was for large companies. So there is work out there, but it takes... It takes time and effort, which is really frustrating as a newcomer to be like, oh, I want to do this. And it is a bit of a gamble. Like You don't know if it's going to pay off, but you've got to try. I think I've been very lucky and very privileged in that there have been lots of people who have been supporters of mine to help me and guide me in different ways. You know, I think of myself as, you know, doing quite well as a drag queen. And I think that somewhere that comes from is having your fingers in lots of different pies, being multidisciplined so that you don't just get the gigs doing one type of thing, but you can get them doing all sorts of different things. And I think that that's where you can really start to make a living and really start to earn proper money if that is something you're wanting to do, which, you know, doing drag doesn't have to be with the aim of making money. That's not why I started. I just thought it'd be fun. But I think that being able to be multidisciplined can really help you if you are looking to turn it into a profession and Andre, Ed there, talking about the range of skills they bring to what they do, their cabaret work to Dolly, and also about the support network that they have. And, and that brings us really to what you do at Tramshed with the Progression Programme. But I'm, I'm also wondering how far the subject of earning a living is something that you talk about, Andre, with, with the people that come onto your programme. I mean, Progression is quite broad so it supports and encourages and offers pathways into the industry for 16 to 25 uh, emerging artists so obviously for those that are kind of starting i think it's about giving a taster and in a way it's like about maybe experiencing a skill or uh, getting to, to meet an artist that will really encourage and will really uh, stimulate and, and influence perhaps uh, them making a career choice but we also bring people that uh, emerging artists, emerging companies that we support and therefore we, for instance, help them uh, writing a, an application for the Arts Council or point them in directions like uh, try to bring producers when you do a showcase at the Trump Shed, try to bring curators or artistic directors from other venues that could offer them possibilities. There is a Facebook group that's a closed group that uh, anybody can join. You just have to ask me to, to join the group and where I post lots of opportunities because I'm constantly receiving emails from producers, from other venues with uh, paid opportunities uh, at times. And you can get to know all about that if you join the, the Progression uh, Facebook group. 
and you can get also to know what what's going to happen the next season. Although we there's a lockdown now, we are kind of planning lots of online courses and and so there's lots of things happening. And yeah, I mean, in facilitating like first jobs or artists need to be paid basically. <laughs> and uh, yeah, absolutely. So there's a whole range of stuff, Jason. Uh, and Ed, there's clearly a well-developed market for drag acts, but I know something that Andre's interested in is, and, and maybe some of those emerging artists that might be listening would, would be interested to hear about is where you find all your gear, Ed. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, there's lots of different places, lots of different sources. And the best thing to do is ask other people, like if there's a specific item you're seeing. And I'm not the type of person that says, oh, buy cheap, buy twice. You know, I like doing things on the cheap. But when it comes to some things, you need something that is higher quality because you are literally going to end up buying five wigs if you can only get three wares out of it or you could just you know spend twice as much and get one that's going to last you forever so lots of different spices some stuff where amazon and ebay are an absolute godsend but you know it's as expensive as you make it and something that i would say to any emerging artist is find out who you are before you start splashing money out you can have the most beautiful costumes and makeup and hair and everything in the world but that isn't what is going to make you a successful drag artist. Like you need to find out who you are and and kind of get your performance side down is what I would say, because I probably made a few hiccups where I think, oh, that looks lovely. I'll spend a hundred pounds on that. And that was too much money to be spent. I rarely spend that on outfits nowadays. And then I might have found that I don't actually wear it that much because I was still working out who I was. But, you know, you can do it from basic high street shops like, yeah, makeup. Some people say you need all fancy stuff. I get just about most of mine from Superdrug or Boots. But it's about finding out what works for you. And again, like clothes, like you can get clothes of either gender in most high street shops. So begin there and alter things yourself make things fancier yourself, adorn things with extra accessories while you build up your style. And then I think that as you perform more, you'll be able to build up a network and get to know different people. And then, you know, you can just ask like, oh, who made that for you? Or where'd that wig come from? People are always willing to share. So lots of different places. I think find out what works for you. But when you're getting started, you can get it done on the high street. It's easy peasy. And was there a, a moment you could say about finding yourself? Was Did you have an, a moment of epiphany that you kind of, oh, I found Dolly, th that's it? Was it was it the exercise during Michael t Michael Twaits or what, you had Dolly before? Tell, tell us, was there a moment? Yeah, I think, I mean, she's always developing. If I just look at myself a year ago, like just aesthetic-wise, I can see myself completely changing. I think that I started to find out who Dolly was probably when I started getting on a microphone in drag because that was something I was petrified of. I think that when I first started performing, I had cabaret acts that were very much set. Like I had a track that was this many minutes and I had this choreography and I had these pieces of costumes and that's what I did. But when I think I really started to find out who she was was when I started hosting cabaret shows or hosting brunch shows and that involved not just going out there and doing a performance or two but spending time mingling with people and they just want to chat to a drag queen and get to take some funny pictures and I think that that was when I really got to find out who she was that she was a bit daft a bit silly she's never got any trousers on always in <laughs> always in a leotard at a very high shoes and very upbeat and very high energy and I think that's when I started to really figure out who she was um, when you started talking to people in your persona, that I realized that, yeah, she's she's a daft cow. 
And really, she's just an exaggerated version of me. She's just me, but with a lot more license to be stupid. And Ed, Dolly Trolley's clearly an entertainer. And you've said yourself you, you got involved, really, because you thought it would be fun. But is being a drag queen also subversive for you at all? Is it is it political in any way? Yeah, I, sometimes I forget about this. I mean, if you ever ask me, is drag political? Oh, my God, it's always political. My style is maybe somewhat more political than I sometimes give myself credit for. I think something that's fantastic about queer communities is that we know that we've come from a community that has had to fight for itself and have its own voice and be able to stand up for itself and other people, that we are now not afraid to do that and know that we've got a fantastic community behind us that if somebody is trying to deliver some kind of message that that you can do that through drag and that your queer community is likely to be on the same wavelength as you so you see a lot of drag performers that do lots of political acts that are very directly political either about social injustice or literally about the tories and it's fantastic people can do that but drag is political whenever you do it and i tend not to take i think it's just my style that i i don't tend to be directly political but it is always political because you're doing something that you will have probably been crushed or injured struggle for. I think just about every queer adult will be able to say that their childhood was probably made horrid by people who bullied them, belittled them, possibly abused them in horrible ways. And because of their sexuality or gender expression, or you know, because they were a bit feminine in my case. And for me, the beautiful thing about drag is about owning the things that you have had struggle for and taking that and flipping it and saying, hang on a minute, you all tried to push me down for this, but I'm going to use exactly that piece of me and make that something fabulous and something to be celebrated and something that brings rooms full of people joy on a regular basis. And it is political because it's something that people have said that men being feminine, oh no, that's a taboo, or women being more masculine, that that's a taboo, or that you know you should stick to your kind of gender binaries and then people up there saying hang on no you don't have to do that and it's not just by saying hello i am here you know it's first of all it's putting yourself as a queer on a massive platform but then it's doing something fabulous with that it's then taking the things that people have tried to say aren't okay and then saying they're not just okay they're blooming brilliant and for me that's that's why it's political in that taking the things that people crush you for and saying you're wrong this is great shut up and ed you talk about taking those things that have been used to hurt you and and making them into something fabulous and really owning that what about then taking that into the mainstream because drag has gone mainstream the, the RuPaul phenomenon has has done that it's brought it into the mainstream do you think it's it's there completely now it's um, yeah, you can't dispute that RuPaul's Drag Race has absolutely brought drag into the mainstream, made it popular, made it cool, which benefits me unboundedly. So I can't complain for that. And so it has done that and that it's normalized it a bit more. It doesn't mean that then that when people see kind of feminine men or boys in the street, they still won't shout things at them because there's still a bit of a, oh, it, it's okay if you're on TV like there's an element of celebrity about it which for me makes it a bit less relatable but it's made it intensely popular which means a lot of audiences want to go and watch drag who aren't lgbt like to be honest i'll do a lot of drag brunch shows there are some times when you've got lots of queer people in the audience and sometimes you've got absolutely none and you know that audience probably wouldn't be there without this mainstream of rupaul's drag race for me the issue with rupaul's drag race is that it is saying 
oh yeah, men can dress up as women and be fabulous at it and that's great. But they do very much only show one type of drag, which is cisgender men dressing up as fabulous women. But they're getting a bit better at the kind of having more non-binary and androgynous drag, but they're still not having any female bodies or trans bodies on there, which is an issue because... To quote Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility, which I do think applies in this case, that you've got this audience, this captive audience that covers the world with their eyes fixated on what drag is and what drag looks like. You know, the number of times that people say to me, oh, you should go on RuPaul's Drag Race, because that's the thing that's at the forefront of people's minds when they see drag. And if they were to allow people who weren't cisgender men to perform it would just completely change the landscape because you know i have lots of drag performer peers and friends who are female drag queens or trans drag queens drag kings and all different kind of drag people who don't adhere to either end of that spectrum and it's really frustrating when there are some gigs and some pieces of work that are looking for a drag queen and you may suggest a performer who just so happens not to be a cisgendered man and then that client seems unhappy with that or sometimes you go and do a gig and you're you're with a female drag queen and the audience is somewhat baffled by that. Once they find out, which I find fascinating, that sometimes they can be witness a drag queen perform and it's the most fabulous thing and they find out that they're a woman and they're a bit like, oh. And, and, and it's because their idea of drag comes from this place of drag race, which has done fantastic things for the drag community, undoubtedly, but I do think it's time that they need to showcase different people doing drag, which I think would encourage a lot more people to do it. There are sometimes, you know, some women at my drag shows who say, oh, I wish I could do drag, but I'm a woman. And I was like, oh no, hang on, look at this person. They're fabulous. And you know, they've got boobs too. You know, it's sometimes a bit upsetting. I think Ed, this would be a good moment to play a clip from Celine Lowenthal. Now, Celine, we spoke to in the previous edition of Tramshed Presents. She's the artistic director of the drag king troupe Pex. And she suggested that maybe RuPaul, and you know, I, I don't want to get into a, a RuPaul bashing session particularly, but she suggested that perhaps RuPaul had taken drag too far into the mainstream. Uh, let's just hear what Celine had to say. When something goes into the mainstream, it can also lose its politics in certain ways. And at the same time, there's a risk of only making work for your own bubble. And, you know, it's important to make work for your community. But at the same time, the real people who need to hear the work in order to kind of receive its benefits live outside of that bubble. So mainstream channels are really important for things like drag to make a ripple effect in the world. But I do think shows like RuPaul, sadly, in some ways, don't have the fullest political effect that they could because they're, they're kind of packaging up queer culture for, for a straight audience in a way that is digestible. Ed, what do you make of those comments by Selena? I mean, that, that, I should say Celine Lowenthal, the artistic director of Pex King's Troop. We spoke to her in episode three, and it, and it really is worth taking the time to listen to what she says about kinging. But, Ed, uh, you know, those comments there, and essentially what Celine's talking about is finding the right balance between serving a core queer audience and reaching the mainstream. Yeah, I would completely agree with 
everything that they said and i think they put it wonderfully and yeah there's a, a fantastic necessity to go into the mainstream because we can shout in the echo chamber but you know at some point we need to get outside of our bubbles which is the point that you need to you know, go out into the mainstream that's where you start to make change if we are trying to reach a place where there are better rights for trans people there's no point just keeping that shouting to within the queer community so they do make the fantastic point that the mainstream is a very useful tool and a thing that is needed and i think that what is important to remember when you go into the mainstream is to not change yourself for the mainstream remember where it has like i said remember who needs it drag is for me about taking struggle and finding empowerment in that and the people that are going to benefit from that are people who have dealt with struggles and probably most you know directly the queer community and remember that that's the people who it's for so i think it's important to remember why we're going into the mainstream not to change yourself and to use your platform if you have one oh world domination <laughs> people often ask like what your goals are and to be honest who knows and my general philosophy towards life is that I don't necessarily make set goals or plans. You know, if someone was to say, where do you see yourself in five years? Absolutely. Who knows? Because if five years ago, I, I quite like where I am now. And if five years ago, you'd have asked me, I, I wouldn't even be able to imagine this position that I'm in at the moment. So for me, life and drag is about continuing to push yourself, creating the best work that you can do, learning new things. And when new opportunities arise that you think are a good opportunity, take them and make the most out of them. For example, drag aerobics. If you'd asked me two years ago if I wanted to run an exercise class in full drag, that thought had never even crossed my mind, but now it's one of the most popular things that I do. But that just came from taking opportunities that arose and continuously pushing myself. So yeah, who knows? Yeah, I'd like to take over the world, and hopefully that will happen someday soon when the rest of the world comes to its senses. <laughs> taking over the world well i think that's a good place to tie off the conversation and so with that we'll bring this episode of tramshed presents to a close many many thanks to ed addison aka dolly trolley for opening a window into their world of drag drag aerobics continues online details are on dolly trolley's facebook page and thank you to andre pink tramshed's progression producer visit tramshed.org to find out about opportunities for emerging theatre artists. You can get in touch with me on Twitter, at Jason Caffrey, if you'd like to let me know what you think of Tramshed Presents. And whatever you do, do not miss the next episode. It's the final instalment of the Sequins, Panties and Moustaches season, and we'll be speaking to the Queen of Performance Art, Lucy McCormick. And trust me, you will love it. Until then, thank you for choosing to spend your time with us. We really do appreciate your company. For now, goodbye. Mm -hmm.